I invite you to open your Bible to James. We'll actually begin in chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and then read through the end of chapter 5. I wasn't able to be with all of you last week and uh, consider the beginning of James where he said to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Uh, And so I wasn't able to be here and to teach from it, and so Brad did that uh, last week but I experienced uh, the opportunity to apply that passage because two weeks ago, uh, I then got COVID for the first time in two and a half years, and it hit me fairly quickly where I felt pretty strong in the morning and even in the afternoon, and then by the evening, uh, just felt incredibly weak, and that weakness persisted for a while. Thankfully, I got it the worst. Eventually, the whole family had it. Um, but thankfully, I got it uh, first. That meant I shared it with everybody, but I also got it the worst, and so everybody else recovered at a faster pace <clears throat> than me. So I told Brad, actually, what I could have done last week is sort of recorded from home with a, a really raspy voice and very weak energy, and it would have been an application of counting it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, but I didn't think it would be very kind for you all uh, to have that happen, and so I'm thankful uh, to be back with you. Um, But even here, at the end of James' letter, we we have good reminders for all of us uh, about uh, the fragileness of life itself, our own health, and the future. So this is James 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts." You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This will conclude our reading for today. As we uh, consider this passage, one of the thoughts that came to my mind that was helpful by way of analogy is I have the gift at home of uh, our older two boys are able to play chess and understand how all the pieces move. And so now at times we can sit down and play. But then the youngest, David, also sees that his older brothers are doing something. And so he wants to play chess as well, except that he doesn't know how any of the pieces move. And so to engage in a game with him uh, requires a certain level of patience to sit down where he's happy to sit down and spend actually quite a bit of time playing, except the playing is a different kind of playing. And so in order to engage that, for me, it requires uh, this patience uh, to still actually try to discipline myself to move the pieces the way I know that they're supposed to go, but also recognize he will move them any which way across the board. Uh, And when you're playing somebody who is engaging in a completely different way, it kind of uh, reveals sort of the futility of it. Uh, I enjoy it, but every once in a while I have to remind myself, there's no real point in my mind sort of strategizing or thinking about my next move. Because if I'm thinking about it in a logical way about how this is supposed to take place, uh, his next move defies all logic, and it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And so it thwarts much of my effort uh, in the strategy in that regard. And uh, there's a way in which the Bible regularly reminds us that the world that we live in doesn't make sense. We know that in experience, but sometimes we have a hard time sort of giving voice to that. And so it's a gift to us when the scriptures remind us that uh, this world is broken. And by the brokenness of this world, which I believe is James is, is, is helping all of us to remember the brokenness of this world, uh, he, he, he's reminding us what we experience at times, but we struggle to give voice to that we know two plus two should equal four, but a lot of times in our world, it doesn't. And so he, he starts off what we've read, uh, two examples uh, that reveal the brokenness of this world. He talks about just any person sort of making plans for future activity. And those plans might even have good intention about them. He says, you know, you uh, who would say today and tomorrow we're going to go into such a town, uh, we're going to work this plan, and hopefully we're going to get profit by the work that we do. Nothing in that is imagined to be bad or of ill motive or wrong, but James is saying, remember, life doesn't always work according to a logical plan. And so you might have good intentions and you might go and even be very diligent in your work, but all of a sudden find out that everything you'd planned and been hoping for 
doesn't actually materialize because you and I don't know what tomorrow will bring, let alone what a few months from now will bring, let alone how different the very world could be a year from now. And because we live in a broken world, what that means in one part is that many times we might try to do good things and we don't see it unfold the way that we want. And later on, he gives an example of somebody who's sort of the the biggest example of this in Scripture in the person of Job. Job was someone who was very skilled at what he did uh, and had seemingly in his skill and, and wisdom and his desire to do right had accumulated quite a bit by this world's standards. And from every measure, as a father, as a business person, was a good father, was good in his business, and had good plans and intentions for the future. But sudden catastrophe happened to Job, to his family, and to all of his uh, livestock. And when we look back, you know, part of Job's challenge when he goes through that is to say, and other friends even are coming alongside him and saying, Job, if this happened to you, like what's wrong with you, Job? And Job resists that to say, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I don't, I don't think I did anything wrong for this catastrophe to come upon me. And we need to remember that oftentimes when we go through really difficult challenges, the question that comes even in our own mind and conscience is, what did we do wrong to deserve this? When many times the reality is not that something's wrong with you or me, but that something is wrong with this world. Something is wrong with this world. And therefore, even when at times we have good intentions and want to do things, and work hard to make them happen, plans that we might uh, develop don't actually materialize because this world is broken. And if, if we stay sort of in our logical brain too much and say, no, 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 if you work hard, good things happen to you, and if you're lazy, bad things happen to you, and that's the way it always should go, or if you make right choices, then good things will happen, and if you make bad choices, then difficulties come, then we will fail to adequately make sense of the experience when we're going through difficult times and challenges when they are no fault to our own. And so sometimes our logical uh, reasoning, though it makes sense, does not actually help us interpret what is going on. In fact, it gets in the way of figuring out what's actually transpiring. But it's hard for us to resist that uh, in a lighthearted way. If you play Wordle every day like I do, like you might have developed some sort of strategy for how you eliminate certain letters as you're trying to solve the puzzle. Well, if you tried today's, there's three of the same letter in the puzzle. And so if you haven't tried it and I've given you a clue to help you solve the puzzle, then that's a gift uh, that you have today. Um, But it was one of those examples this morning of, again, oh, my strategy for how I eliminate things is actually going to now make me not solve it today because it's not, the person giving the puzzle is not giving it in the same terms that I'm trying to solve it. And life often comes that way to us. We go through challenges and difficulties all the time that if in our mind we then are trying to go backwards and look and say, well, what did we do wrong and where did we fail and what's wrong with us? Uh, we'll find ourselves now with this difficulty we're going through added to it a sense of shame and regret 
over things that we don't necessarily need to feel shame or regret over because they weren't necessarily our fault that they happened. The next thing, though, that James looks at is in his warning to the rich. So there's those who might have good intentions and make plans and work hard and see things don't come together. Then we also have this example of people who are actually acquiring quite a bit. Uh, They own fields. They get workers to come and work those fields. And in a just and logical world, uh, people would be paid appropriately for the work that they've done and that wealth would be shared. But in our broken world, it can happen where, no, somebody who has the power and the means to control the situation says, actually, I'm going to keep most of this for myself. Even though many people have worked hard to cause this to happen, out of, he goes on to say, out of self-indulgence and greed and a desire just to live in luxury here, there are wealthy landowners in James' day who are unwilling to share what rightly belongs to the people who've been working for them. And James is saying, God's paying attention to that. That's, that's fraud. You're stealing from them. Now, it doesn't have the same physical reaction as having given somebody the money and then robbing them. But James is saying, by withholding from them the wages that rightly belong to them, you're guilty of fraud. You are guilty of stealing from them. And so it looks like you're enjoying this abundance and this uh, prestige. And so people in the world might look at it and drive past this person's house and say, I mean, this, this person must be living right. You know, God's clearly blessing this person because they just seem to have it all together. And they, they seem to be able to meet whatever needs they have. But when we remember, no, this is a broken world. Not everything adds up in the way we think it should. It's possible, just like people could have good intentions that don't come about, people can, for a period of time, get away with their bad intentions. And just because we see them living in luxury or seeming abundance, it does not mean that their heart is right with the Lord. It doesn't mean their relationship with their uh, employees is healthy and good. Uh, It actually might be evidence of the opposite. And so in both of these things, there is this uh, effort by James to, to help us remember that this world is broken. And so we can't always solve the puzzle or interpret the data in the way that we might want. There's good things that we would desire to happen and even work hard to make happen and they don't come to fruition. And that doesn't mean we're, we were wrong or that we need to be ashamed. And then there are those who are, seem successful in the work that they're doing, but it's come about as they've taken and stolen from other people. Uh, especially at the beginning here of five, it reminds me, uh, even when we think about why people uh, do the things that they do, uh, I was a, an undergrad at the University of Akron. I was a criminal justice major, and I enjoyed the opportunity in several classes to sort of think through and then debate out loud why people commit the crimes that they do, and part of your theory of why people commit the crimes they do affects then how you think people should be punished or how we should prevent crime in the future. And uh, I remember where uh, a lot of uh, the thoughts and ideas that people had seemed to fall apart when then we took a class on white-collar crime and recognized that so many theories that basically say most people 
commit crime uh, out of a, a need. If, if they're really poor, they might steal for food. If they've really struggled with this, they might try to take advantage of that situation. Uh, but then when you study white collar crime, you realize actually the, the largest amount of crime is committed by people who have the most already. Uh, then it thwarts your own theory or expectation of why people commit bad behavior. So uh, a person who might go into a bank and try to take a few thousand dollars from it uh, will usually, one, have to do that in a violent way, and that story uh, might make the headline of a robbery that took place. And that's serious, and that's real, and that needs to be addressed. But that's very different than somebody who maybe manages a bank or runs a company and has figured out a way not through violence, but through either withholding wages or diverting funds to other things to actually steal. And when you put them side by side, one is usually in the thousands of dollars and one is in the millions and millions of dollars. And so when you compare them and you say, wait a minute, why is this person who seems in every other way on this earth to already be uh, as well off as you can be? then motivated to steal, to take. And we don't know, but it again messes up uh, in, if, if on our expectation, the only reason or motivation that people do wrong things is out of suffering that they're trying to alleviate instead of recognizing, no, we all, just like this world is broken, we're a part of this world, we have sinful hearts that actually none of us are ultimately satisfied by material things. And so we can make really dumb decisions with $5, and we can all make really dumb decisions with $5 billion. Like, we all are constantly tempted uh, to choose selfishness over generosity, to choose uh, uh, to secure ourselves and, and make ourselves safe by keeping things rather than recognizing, hey, none of us have just made it on our own. We all have gotten to where we've gotten in life through uh, the love and the support and the grace and the forgiveness of many people around us. Uh, and so those temptations don't go away based on what our status is in life. We live in this broken world, and so we are constantly tempted by those things. And so James is here reminding us that uh, we are challenged in all these ways. So then he highlights later, not Job but in this example, Elijah, who in his own day was a prophet when the king and the queen were not godly people. They were people who were in charge and they had authority over the nation. But that doesn't mean that they were eager then to see that righteousness would happen in the land. But they, because of their own sinful indulgence, were constantly using their position of power and authority to actually uh, only serve themselves and then lead the whole nation into sin through the worship of other gods. And so part of Elijah's prayer at that time was God, stop. <laughs> would, would the famine come? Like there are people in, with the authority to do good over everyone who are not honoring you in that way. They're not serving their people. And so part of Elijah's initial prayer is a prayer uh, for justice to be done. Because in our broken world, sometimes even when good people desire to do good things, those plans don't come to fruition. And sometimes when people who are choosing selfishness or wickedness 
uh, actually get away with for a while the things that are happening. And so in, in that, James also wants to remind us of the coming judgment of this world. So uh, these examples remind us that this world is broken. It's not all logical. But he also wants to remind us that there is a coming judgment in this world. At the end of chapter 4, when he talks about uh, recognizing that our life is a vapor, we don't know how much time we have, there's this reality for each and every one of us that we will face an end of our days. And then in chapter 5, as he talks about those who are rich, he's reminding all of them that there is a coming judgment and an end of days in this world. And we all would do well to take serious stock of our lives based on that reality, that there is a judgment day coming. And that judgment day will lead to very different realities that for those who are right now living in luxury off of abuse and misuse of their power and resources, James is saying in light of that coming judgment, the most appropriate response is to weep now. To repent that before that day comes to take serious uh, and of serious evaluation of, of how we have been treating and responding to other people and when we recognize that there has been sin when we're starting to see corrosion even in the things we've been putting our trust in uh, verse 1 is saying allow that to cause your heart to break over the sin that's being exposed and ask God for forgiveness now instead of waiting until you meet him then and it's a serious warning that he gives that the coming judgment day for those who right now think they're getting away with it will be the revelation that nobody gets away with anything. That God will be perfectly just. That eventually the logic uh, is completed. What right now is not making sense will one day make sense. And there will be a perfect judge who will decide the who, what, when, and how. And so for those who are thinking it's okay to commit this sin, it's okay to take advantage of this situation, uh, remembering the coming judgment of this world is an invitation to stop. Say, don't spend any more days living like that. Come to terms with your maker now. Ask him to forgive you for the sins that you have committed. For others who are not under immediately this yoke of injustice that they're committing. They're on the suffering end of this. He goes on to say, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. And so remembering the coming judgment of this world is for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, again, this encouragement to say, it's not always going to be wrong like this. The suffering that you are going through, the brokenness of your body or the brokenness of the relationships around you, the, 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 the anger that you feel over that or the sense of regret that you feel over that, that, that's understandable. But your heavenly father also promises in the coming judgment day to make all things well. He promises to bring healing. He promises to bring restoration. 
Jesus said that anybody who's given up mother and brother and resources to follow after him will one day receive 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so knowing that there is a, a future reward, knowing that there's a future joy, that gives us what we need to be patient in the here and now. Yes, to still fight and advocate for justice and for wrongs to be made right, but to recognize even if we don't see all of that happen right now, we have the resources because of the gospel to be patient and trust that God, uh, even though so much is happening that reveals the brokenness of this world, none of it is ultimately beyond his ability to redeem and restore. And we don't know exactly what his timing will be and what his method will be, but we can trust that he is gonna bring that about. And we simply look back on the life of our savior as a reminder of that. He experienced the brokenness of this world in his suffering on the cross. His own mother and his disciples were weeping, unable to make sense of how this could possibly happen until the coming resurrection from the dead as he then appeared to them and comforted them to say, not that doesn't mean everything that happened was okay, that was still wrong, that was still terrible. But now in his victory over that, he could encourage their hearts and uplift them to say, but that's not going to be the final word. That's not going to have the final say. That God is more powerful than the brokenness of this world. Our great physician has a cure that is greater than the curse and the disease that we experience. And if we believe that, that gives us what we need to be patient and steadfast for the future coming judgment of the world. And then it also ends by encouraging us to remember the surprising grace of God. There is much that happens in this world that doesn't make sense because it's broken. There is much that will only be made right or come to uh, full expression in the future judgment. But he still encourages us in the present to also recognize that God is with us and we can invite him to do surprising acts of grace that also don't make sense, but in the positive way, where when situations look like they're hopeless, he can bring healing. When things look like they're broken, he can mend them. And so he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So he had, he had said before, uh, you might be going through something and, and be patient, but that patience is not to then tell us that, well, then don't pray. <laughs> don't ask God for relief. Don't ask God for mercy. No, if you're suffering through something or someone you love is going through something, pray. Invite other people to join you in prayer. He says, eventually, call the elders of the church to pray that the situation would change now, not just in the future. That there would be relief. That God would surprise us in his kindness and his grace to make good and beautiful things happen. And he also says, is anyone cheerful in this broken world? with so much that doesn't make sense, we all also have things that we can be thankful for. That we can say, wow, God, I wasn't expecting that unexpected uh, text or, or, or note from a friend to reach out and tell me they were thinking of me. 
I wasn't expecting when I was driving around this morning to just see something that was so beautiful that it like made me pause and say, wow, God, you're, you're amazing. There are things around us that give us cause and reason to have joy and to praise. And so even though there's brokenness around us, even though there's challenges, we still have many reasons to thank God for the grace that he's given us and the things that we can enjoy here and now that we don't have to wait ultimately for in the future. And so just like Elijah, not only was there the prayer uh, to withhold the rain, but then the prayer uh, that the heavens would give its rain so that the earth would bear its fruit. Um, This is also what we're called to as a community to remind ourselves when things are wrong and sometimes we want to internalize that and say something's wrong with me, we can come to one another and say, hey, it's not, it's not that you're wrong. It, the world is wrong around us. And I just want you to know I love you. I'm thinking about you. And together we can help one another also lift up our, our heads to desire and long for God's intervening and surprising grace. He might answer our prayers by saying that's going to happen in the future. That's going to happen in the resurrection. But it means there's nothing wrong with asking for it now. His purposes for us are good and kind. And he wants us as a loving Heavenly Father to come to him and ask him and ask him again for the good things that he can give us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the reminders that are within it, that are humbling, that remind us that our own lives are fragile, that we are a vapor. Uh, We're not as strong as we might sometimes want ourselves to believe. But we also thank you for the grace that uh, it is to be reminded that Not every bad thing, not every uh, difficult circumstance is because of our own pride or sin or selfishness. That we all together are living through uh, a challenging world, marred by sin. And when Satan tries to add to those challenges a a deeper sense of shame and, and guilt where it doesn't belong, we just, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to resist uh, those negative thoughts from the enemy and that, that false condemnation but still be able to sit in the pain and the struggle of what we're going through and, and acknowledge to you that it hurts that it's hard that we need your help we don't have the steadfastness of Job within us we need your Holy Spirit to give us that we don't have the faith of Elijah to stop the rain and to call it back down we need your Holy Spirit to give that to us. Father, we don't have the resources to heal ourselves, and so we we do come to you, and just like you encourage us to pray for wisdom, we pray for for healing, for wholeness, for restoration. Father, would you surprise us with your your goodness and your grace to move through us uh, to help alleviate the pain and suffering that is so often around us. And Father, for all the beauty and the, and, and the wonder that is around us, help us to continue to lift up songs of praise that you've given us things to celebrate as well. And so we want to honor you uh, through that. 
And we just pray for your grace to enable uh, all of that in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.